Good afternoon, friends. It is uh, such an honor to be here with you this afternoon. Uh, and just quickly, I just want to touch on uh, the, the giving of our church, the community of our church. Um, I was debating whether I would do this, and I think I'm going to, so here we go. Let's run. Uh, this week has been really tough for me and my family. My mom has been going through um, some sickness at the moment, and um, I have been at the receiving end of a fantastic community, uh, a community who has provided meals and prayers and love. So if you're sitting here this afternoon going, they say, do they, like, they say this, but do they do it? Uh, I can assure you they do. Uh, and I, for one, am really thankful for that. So thank you if you've been a part of that as well. That means so much to us. Uh, but yeah, it is an honor to speak to you this afternoon from God's Word. Um, I believe that, uh, I say this every week, so I hope you don't get sick of it, but I sure don't. I believe that uh, God is not far from us this afternoon. I believe that He is close to us, that He knows you, He sees you, He hears you, uh, and I do believe this afternoon that He wants to speak to you. And so I just encourage you to open up your hearts, put aside maybe your preconceived ideas of who God is or what church is, and, and come on this journey with us as we explore what God's Word says. Uh, we will be continuing our series on Genesis, as the beautiful PowerPoint shows. Uh, and last week, uh, I was going to say Principal Paul Jones, because that is who he is to me, but Dr. Paul Jones uh, shared this beautiful message on Genesis 1. And if you missed that, I encourage you to check out our podcasts because that was fantastic. But we want to keep moving towards the end of that book and look at the end of Genesis 1 and the start of Genesis 2. Um, and what I find incredible about this chapter, just to begin with, what really stands out to me is up until the sixth day of creation, it really seems like the author or the writer or God the creator is setting up for this grand reveal on day six. It's, things seem to be building. Things seem to be escalating. Uh, and what we find is when we get to day six is humanity is created. It's like this day six and we're here. Come on. Uh, and so I don't know about you, but I wondered why. Like, why are we, like, one of the last things to get created? Are we, like, an afterthought where God did the trees and all this stuff? He's like, oh, yeah, humans, forgot about those. Uh, or, or is there an intention behind it? Is there an intention behind it? And, and the more I thought about it and the more I looked into it, at the end of our book, at the end of our Bible, we believe that essentially everything that created will be uncreated, will cease to exist, except for us except for humanity. Why? Why is that such a big deal? Why are we such a crucial part of God's biblical narrative? Why do we play such a crucial role in this story? And so that's what we're going to look at this afternoon, and, and I'm excited about it, and I hope uh, that you would come on this journey with me. So let's read our text. Uh, Genesis 1, uh, should come up on the screen here, Genesis 1, verses 26 to 31. It says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image. In our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and he said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and every other living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I will give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food 
I hope you like spinach and lettuce. (laughs) Not a funny joke. Uh, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. There was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Why don't you pray with me? Father, I thank you that you are here with us this afternoon. God, I thank you amongst circumstances, amongst situations, God, that you are so present with us. Father, I thank you that um, more than anything I could say, more than any word we could ever sing, Father, we are actually just hungry for a touch of heaven in this place tonight. God, we actually want to know you. We want to know your spirit. We want to know your voice. So God, help us not just to fall into a routine of sitting through the next few minutes together, getting to a song and then going out for dinner, but no, God, bring hunger in our hearts tonight, a desire to know you deeper. Come, Holy Spirit, do what only you can do in this place. Would your kingdom come and your will be done here in Brisbane as it is in heaven. We love you so much, God. Amen. Well, have you ever met someone? Yep, not a trick question. Have you ever, if you haven't, uh, let's do a really quick exercise. Turn to your left, that's my left, and go, oh, I'm looking at the back of someone's head. Didn't think that through. Everyone turn to someone. That's a good place to start. And say, hello, my name is, say your name. Fantastic, and attention back to the front. I'm stoked because everyone now has met someone. We can all relate to this message. We can all relate to this analogy, so that's fantastic. A shared experience is a great way to start a sermon. Uh, But I don't know about you, but when I introduce myself to someone or I meet someone for the first time, or maybe it's the 10th time, but my memory thinks it's the first time because apologies if that's been you. But I go, hello, my name is Aaron and they usually tell me their name. Uh, And then the next question I ask is, what do you do? Well, what is your job? What's your hobby? What do you fill your time with? What do you do? And and this really, uh, like, confused me, because I was like, why why do we show so much emphasis on this? Even we think about our social media accounts. Uh, In our little bios, we tend to, like, put a little bit about ourselves. So mine is obviously, I'm a model, I'm 23, Uh, I live in Brisbane, and John 3.16, just so you know that I'm a Christian. Um, This is a joke in case you're like, we need to leave now, which I would understand. But why do, we assign so, why do we assign so much value to this hobby, to this job, to the things that we do? Why is this the first thing that we tell people? It's, it's interesting, right? And, and I think there's actually two dangers about this. There's two dangers, and I'm just going to jump straight into them tonight. Um, our first one is that our job, our doing, our hobby becomes the sense of identity and worth. And so we say to someone, I'm a designer, I'm a lawyer, I'm a doctor, I'm a mother, uh, And and this is fair enough, because the majority of our life gets filled in this place of work, right? A a lot of our time gets filled in this hobby. Um, But what would happen if that was taken away? What would happen if you were no longer a lawyer, no longer a barista, no longer a designer? What would you say? Hello, I'm Aaron. I'm a... Oh, I don't know. Well, what would happen? 
And so I think that's our first danger. But the second, and I think this is super common in the church, especially this year as we focus about who we're becoming, is we're so concentrated on who we are that what we do doesn't matter. And so, uh, as Pastor Michael beautifully said on Vision Sunday, what we do flows from who we are. And so both actually matter. If we're just focusing on who we are, our our doing and our actions are actually going to be empty. If we're just focusing on what we do and we're not concentrating on who we are, what are our actions, what worth do they have? And and so this afternoon suggests that who we are and what we do, they both matter. They both have a part to play in our story. And so if this is what I'm suggesting, my next question will be, well, then what's the point? If both of who I am and what I do matter, what's the actual point of humanity? Because if it's not my job, if it's not my my promotion, if it's not my uh, responsibility as a father or a mother, what what is the point? What's the purpose? And I don't know about you, but when, when life gets hard, when life gets tough, don't we find ourselves asking these questions even more? But what's the point of this, Lord? Why, why is my family member so sick at the moment? Like, what's the point of that? What's the purpose? Uh, I was chatting to um, one of, uh, a guy that I sponsor over in Africa, and uh, he messaged me this week and told me that um, his farm, so he, he's been working really hard at building up this farm and getting livestock and creating jobs and opportunity for people in his town, but he told me that this week that all of his animals got slaughtered. This is a, a guy who has barely nothing, is living in an orphanage, has to rely on, on my money to live, and, and here he is getting taken what he has away. What's the point? What's, what's the purpose? And, and what's interesting is we look at any world religion, any form of spirituality, and there's usually some sort of answer to this question. Uh, even if people say they're not spirit, spiritual or, or don't have a faith, they usually have some sort of opinion on who we are and what our purpose is. And I find that so fascinating. I don't know about you, but myself, if someone asked me, hey, Aaron, what's the purpose of our life? I could probably string together a pretty quick sentence full of Christianese that uh, is easy just to roll off the time, like, oh, yeah, it's love God and honor him. Like, that's not wrong. But do I know the weight that comes behind that? Am I just saying that because that's what I heard, or is that a reality that I know? And what I find interesting is in today's text, in Genesis, uh, it actually provides quite a different definition for us, quite a different definition to what culture and society tells us, even quite a different definition to what I've grown up believing as a Christian. And, And it's fascinating. So let's look at this together. It says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule. What a weird word, so that they may rule. If I called Mitch during the week and I was like, hey, brother, what you up to? I, I doubt that he would say, just ruling over my emails. <laughs> you, we don't say that. What a bizarre word to describe our purpose and what we do. But before we jump into to what that means and we get too deep, let's just remember that uh, the creation narrative is part of a, a greater story. Right? Let's just keep that in our minds as we're going through. There's a, a greater redemption narrative at play here. And, and what's interesting is uh, the, our story in Genesis, this creation story that we believe and that we read in our books, is actually not the only one floating around in ancient times. There are actually multiple creation stories that different religions and different faiths believed from their perspective, um, but they're quite different. And so here's my summary of some of the ones that I, went, I read. So this is a credible Aaron Moore source. Uh, it says that the gods got tired, they got worn out from their work, 
Uh, notice I said gods there. They were tired and they were worn out from their work. Their work was hard and burdensome. And in many ways, they discovered that work was actually beneath them. And so what they did was to take the load off their plate, to take the, the work, the burden of work off their shoulders, they created humanity. This, this race of servants that could serve them, that could do the work that they didn't want to do, to feed them food and, and drink and be at their right hand to serve them. And so they could sit back and be at ease. This is the, the blanket story of what the ancient uh, people in the ancient times had as their creation story. But what we read in Genesis is stark opposite, right? It's, it's super different. It's a completely different narrative. See, we read that we have one created God, and from what we can read, he actually seems to really enjoy his work. And rather than creating slaves to take burdens and, and work off his hand, he actually creates a whole world for humanity, for us, a place for us to experience and enjoy him rather than this common mentality of us being slaves and servants. No, God actually invites us into this story. He, he includes us and he actually asks us to be co-creators, to be partners with him. Friends, this was countercultural. This was a completely different story. We read that, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish and in the sea, the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So friends, what first jumps out to me here is that we were made in the image of God. We were made in the image of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's in the trinity of the image that we bear. Uh, but if you're like me, you just nod your head. You're like, oh, yeah, I've heard those words before. I've been made in the image of God. Yeah, like, tick. I know what that means. But if we stop and we, we look at the depth behind this, do we actually understand it? Do we actually know what image means? And so uh, let, let's have a look at that firstly. The, the root word when we look at this word image is a Hebrew for the word selim or however it's pronounced. Let's go with Selim tonight, because that's my, that's my ability. Uh, and the, the translation to this means idol or statue. Again, two really strange words to describe humanity, right? Idol and statue. Let's look at these definitions. See, see an idol is not just Guy Sebastian in 2003, uh, who sung Angels Brought Me Here. No, it was more than that. It was a visible representation of an invisible being an invi a visible representation of an invisible being. A statue was made of every ancient god, and, and the idea of these statues was to place them in the temples so that worshippers would know what their god looked like, to know who, the, they, were, to know who they were worshipping. Let me just read those again. This is good to remind ourselves. An idol is a visible representation of an invisible being. A statue was made to place inside temples so worshippers could see what their God was like. Friends, for me, this brought a whole new light to this sentence, a whole new understanding to what it meant to be made in the image of God. See, with these definitions, what it's actually saying is we are a visible representation showing the world what God is like. We are a visible representation showing the world what God is like. And see, the rest of Scripture actually backs up this idea, right? It backs up this concept. In Exodus 19, verses 4 to 6, we read that at Mount Sinai, at Mount Sinai sorry, Israel is given its purpose. 
to obey the law and draw all the nations to Yahweh, being a light to the nations. Then further in the New Testament, we read in 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, verses 9 to 10, we read that when we are saved, we are invited to respond in obedience and draw others to Christ by being a light to the nations. There's this idea again that we are made in the image of God. We are the visible representation, showing the world what God is like. Friends, I don't know about you, but this, this brings an appropriate weight on our, on our lives, right? If we are, are visible representations of what God is like, if I'm meant to be a statue for God, there's actually a bit of weight to that. There's a bit of reverence to that. I, I could probably tell you numerous times today where I have done a poor representation of what God is like, where I have not pointed someone or shown someone what God is like. This is, this is a serious responsibility. Yes, this is where uh, the redemptive work of Christ comes into play. Yes, this is where our, our daily our repentance comes into play. But I do think there's a weight to this, and I do think we need to take it seriously. See, how is your life a visible representation of God? How are you displaying to your workplace, your, your colleagues, your home, your community, your mother, your father, the the uh, Macca's attendant at the drive-thru when you get cold shifts, the person who cuts you off in traffic? How are you being a visible representation of God. This phrase, image of God, was also not a new concept. It wasn't a new sentence. See, uh, this phrase was actually said a lot in the ancient times along with their creation stories, but there was a key difference for them. This, this phrase was only tagged to people who were kings. This tag of image of God was only given to people who were royalty, who were kings. And so again, to to go along with their story of creation, this was just another thing that separated them from everyone else. So if we're saying that the king is the image of God, we can assume that means everyone else isn't. And and what's crazy about this is it's super different in our story, right? It's super different in in our creation, generation, genesis. I mixed all the words together in my head. It's good. It's a skill. Uh, No, no, but this is our claim, right? That all of us were made in the image of God. Not just the pastor, not just the person who's on the platform, not just the person who gives themselves the title of Christian, but no, all people, all people were created in the image of God. Next we read, and and we touched on this briefly at the start, that uh, it says that we are to rule. And what does this mean? Well, again, in the root of this word in Hebrew, it says radar. And everyone say radar with me. One more time. Let's say radar. I don't know if you said it right. Who knows? Don't ask anyone. Uh, (laughs) Radar. And what this word means is to reign or to have dominion. One Hebrew scholar phrases it like this, and I think it's really helpful. To actively partner with God in taking the world somewhere. To rule or to reign means to actively partner with God in taking the world somewhere. See, the more we look at creation, the more evident this becomes, right? God created Adam just out of dust, but he actually didn't keep doing that with us. I don't know about you, but I was born from my mother. (laughs) Surprise! (laughs) I wasn't out of dust. I was created out of family, out of relationship. God invited us into that story. Our food could have just continued to be dropped from the sky like an exodus with manna, like this little Uber Eats service from God, but, but no, he chooses to use farming and agriculture 
He invites us into that story. Adam and Eve weren't just placed in a a complete city for them to just enjoy all the perks of a a completed city. No, they were given a garden with resources to invite them into the story. See, God chooses us to partner with him, to co-create with him. He wants us involved. And and in Genesis and, and the Bible, really, we actually see a whole heap of people doing this. See, a whole heap of people doing it really well and a whole heap of people not doing a very good job at it. Uh, first, we see in Genesis 4:17 that the, the first city is built. That's a pretty sick accomplishment. That's pretty awesome. Uh, later on, we see uh, in verse 21 that music and the arts come into play. That's exciting for me. That's a passion for me. Uh, later, we see that Noah um, starts up his flagship vineyard. He creates wine. That's exciting for me. Come on. Uh, but then, not long after, we start to see how poorly we handle stuff. See, Noah, who had his flagship vineyard, actually ended up getting drunk. And uh, in Genesis 19, we, we first start to read about this idea of incest. Exodus reveals the early beginnings of oppression of women and, and records mass violence all throughout the scripture. If we look at human history, don't we just see more of the same thing as well? A whole heap of people who do it well, who invite God into the story, and a whole heap of people who do it pretty poorly, myself included. See, if we look at humanity, we're responsible for some pretty incredible things, like science and medicine and and food, keep bringing that one up, some incredible art. But when we keep looking at, at our history, we also see all the things that we've messed up. See, recorded in 2018, we read that there's still 40.3 million people still in slavery today. 71% of those being female, one in four of them being children. Racism, it's it's running rampant through our world and through our nation, something that we've brought in, something that we've screwed up. We've just gone through a year of significant people of our faith who have um, stumbled in their morality, in their character, and they're just the ones that we know about. Friends, sometimes we do a pretty poor job at creating, at partnering with God. We've shown the way that we can rule can bring life, and we've shown a way that can actually rob people of that very life. Adam, Abraham, Israel, me and you, we've all given it a crack, and we've all fallen short of that. But friends, this is what absolutely blows me away about the rest of our biblical narrative, is that Up until uh, this point, God has been speaking to people through dreams, through visions, through audible voices. But what does God do next? He writes into the story a man. Think about that for a second. After a whole heap of people have screwed up, a whole heap of men and, and women who have made bad decisions, what does God write into the story next? Another man. But this time, it's, it's a man who doesn't, <laughs> for short. This time, uh, it's a man who uh, rather does what Adam, what you, what I were meant to do, but couldn't. See, in Romans 5.17, we read that, For if by the trespasses of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in the life through the one man, Jesus Christ? See, Jesus came... And it was a visible representation, showing the world what God is like, showing the world what he was like. 
Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the ruler of the kings and all of the earth, still wants to partner with me and you. Why? Because from the beginning of the story of God, he's been looking for partners, for me, for you, to partner with him. See, humanity's relationship with God is not a God up in heavens, us on puppet strings, him controlling this whole thing. It's not a race full of servants trying to please God and do things at his right hand as he clicks his fingers. No, this is a story of a God who invites us into the story. A God who invites us to actively partner with him to take the world somewhere, to be a visible representation, to show the world what God is like. Friends, in, uh, in 2017, I got a really incredible experience to travel to Uganda. Uh, and as I mentioned before, I got to meet my sponsor brother and I got to meet uh, my sponsor sister. And um, we're running a camp here and for orphan boys and community boys. And this here is a guy named Kevin. Kevin was 12 um, and he was a community boy. And so to paint a picture of what that meant is... Uh, the, the orphan boys were actually really blessed. They came from the Watoto orphanage, and um, they had clothes, they had an education, they had a, a family, they, they were set up really well. But these community boys actually just came wearing the clothes that they had, uh, and a few of them had plastic bags over their shoulders. I, I later found out that in that plastic bag was just one spare shirt, and I would suggest that maybe it was dirtier than the one that they had on. And so one night on this camp, I, I sat down around a campfire. Would it be a camp without a fire? Probably not. Uh, and we sat around just, uh, just talking, just talking about stories. And, um, and I'll never forget this story if I don't make it through this story. But Kevin looked at me, uh, and they had this really beautiful culture of honor in Uganda. And he said, Uncle Aaron, can I tell you my story? As he's just weeping. I said, yeah, Kevin, you can tell me your story. And so Kevin started to tell me that uh, when he was under the age of five, his mother passed away. Uh, a few years later after that, his grandmother passed away. Uh, a few years after that, his sister passed away. Kevin was now living with his friends, uh, his friend's family, but that's not as rosy as it seemed. Well, Kevin told me that this family daily would tell him that he was not one of them. They would look him in the eyes and say, Kevin, you're not our son. You're not a part of this family. Kevin found out a week before this camp that he was going to have to move out. This kid who had literally a plastic bag over his shoulder. <laughs> no family. Probably was going to have to pull out of school. Was going to go home to I don't know where. <laughs> he said to me next, this thing that's never left me. He said, Aaron, I've fasted for a week, and I still haven't heard from God. <laughs> this is a 12-year-old boy who has a bigger faith than I do, who has better spiritual practices and rhythms than I do. He said, Aaron, I've fasted for a week, and I still haven't heard from God. I don't know what to do. And we just cried. He hugged me, and um, after this, he looked me in the eyes. He said, but Aaron, but Uncle Aaron, I have to tell you this one thing. He's like, I still know that God is good. <laughs> I still know that God loves me. And I looked at Kevin and I asked probably a really bad pastoral question. <laughs> I said, how do you know? How do you know that, Kevin? He said, because I'm still here. Because <laughs> I'm still here. 
And, and friends, you're probably wondering, like, Aaron, what does this have to do with what you've been talking about? But I actually believe that Kevin was being a light to me in that moment. That Kevin probably didn't intentionally walk into that situation going, I'm going to teach Aaron about purpose. I'm going to teach Aaron about who I am. No, Kevin was actually just living out his faith in a circumstance that was hard. And friends, I would argue that Kevin is probably one of the brightest lights that I've ever come across. As it says, as we read earlier in 1 Peter 2, verses 9 to 10, when we are saved, we are invited to respond in obedience and to draw others towards Christ, to be a light to the nations. So for the Christian in this room, how do we respond in obedience to the purpose that we've been called to? How are we a visible representation of who God is? How are you showing the world what God is like? How are you drawing others to Christ? Because I believe this is our purpose. Above our current calling or appointment, apart our drive to, be, to get the promotion or maybe just our, our drive to be a perfect mother or a good father, above all of that, I feel like God's actually just calling us to be a visible representation of who God is like. We can do that in our new job. We can do that in our family. We can do that when we talk to others, but we first have to know. So I just encourage you to bow your head in this moment. I'm just going to read this scripture back over you as we sit. God made you in the Father's image, in the Son's image, in the image of the Holy Spirit, reflecting their nature so that you could be responsible for the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, the cattle, and yes, earth itself. God created you. He created you God-like, reflecting God's nature. Friends, God blessed you. He said, prosper, reproduce, fill the earth, take charge, be responsible for the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, for every living thing that moves on the face of the earth. Then God said, I've given you every sort of seed-bearing plant on earth, every kind of fruit-bearing tree, given the food to you, to all the animals, all the birds, everything that moves and breathes. I give whatever grows out of the, green, out of the ground for food. Wow, what a blessing from God. What a provider. Friends, then God looked over everything that he had made. And he said it was so good. It was so very good. There was evening and there was morning. The sixth day. Friends, God looked over everything that he made. And it was good. Just quickly, I want to, I want to touch on this, this last thing that we, we read. You can keep your eyes closed if you'd like. We read that there was evening and then there was morning. What, did, what does that mean? Well, for the Jew, their day or their, their Sabbath began with the uh, sun going down. <laughs> I've lost my words. <laughs> the sun setting. And so the first thing that they would do every day was rest. Rest knowing who they were. Rest knowing 
who they were created to be. See, friends, the beautiful part about this message is before you and I wake up tomorrow, we get to rest, knowing that when God sees us, he saw that we were good, that we were very good. Then out of that place, out of knowing who God's made us to be, only then can we be a visible representation of who he's called us to be. To partner with him. To walk with him. Friends, God doesn't actually need us a part of that story, but he invites us in to partner with me, to partner with you. And so, Father, just this afternoon, before we sing any other song, before we pray any other prayer, help us rest, knowing that when you created us, when you looked at us, you saw that we were good, that we were very good. Father, I believe that this says more about you than about us. Because you didn't choose to continue doing it by yourself, but no, God, you invited us into that story to partner with you, to create with you, even knowing that we would probably screw up, knowing that we're going to fall short, knowing that we're going to try and do it in our own strength. No, no. God, you still welcomed us in. So wherever you're at in your faith journey this afternoon, we're going to have a time of prayer uh, as we sing this next song over on um, the left-hand side of the stage. But, uh, but I wonder if you know how God sees you. I wonder if you know that even how God sees you, even how you see yourself, he still is asking you to be a part of his story. Lord, we say sorry for the the moments that we've screwed up. We say sorry for the moments that we've walked doing our own thing, trying to create and produce and, and, and partner with ourselves. God, we're sorry for trying to do it on our own. But Father, I for one am so thankful that you've welcomed me in. God, help us to be a visible representation so that we might be able to show the world what you look like. So that we might be able to show the people in our workplace, the people in our family who don't yet believe. God, the people on the street, the people who we get our order from tonight for dinner, God, may we be a visible representation of you. And so as we sing this next song, I'll just dare you to think through maybe what's in your life that's that's stopping you from doing that. Maybe that's sin. Maybe that's how you see yourself. But as we sing, I invite you just to give that to God. We're going to sing a song that speaks about how God sees you. 
what he sees when he looks at you. And then the next thing I'd ask you to do is just ask God for courage to live life in the image of him. So why don't we stand and sing together?